Hello, everybody, and welcome to Comical Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Corbett, and with me is... Eh? This is Miguel Garza. <laughs> no horse to please today? Yeah, he's here. <laughs> and Merman? Uh, he's running a little late. Oh, okay. We've also got Heather in the room. <laughs> Hi, Heather. What's up, guys? And we have a very special returning guest, Mr. Steve Orlando. Oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the enthusiasm I can expect. <laughs> I'm a special guest. We're going to restart the, the, the arm hashtag. Let's bring that up again tonight. Yes, we definitely have to. <laughs> we got to find a new reason. We have to find a new reason why it's appropriate. So that's the point of the show, I think. Okay. We can make that happen. <laughs> there was a book I read. Some kind of an arm got used, I think. Um, was it Undertow? <laughs> <laughs> People lose limbs in Undertow all the time. It's a smorgasbord of hashtag material. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Well, let's, let's talk about this week's comics first before we get into anything else. Okay. Um, Miguel, what were your top two books of the week? Let me say that we didn't get a chance to read all the books we were supposed to this week because we spent way too much money at Comic Palooza, and we could only pick up about 19 books out of the 32 we were supposed to. So. Yeah, too much money. Our opinions may not be 100% correct this week. Did you read Batman 31? I read that this morning. That is one that got left for next week. <laughs> <laughs> but you can talk about it. I mean, it's got Batman punching lions, which is just like something I would write, obviously. So I was pretty excited about it. What? <laughs> I don't know this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He he fist fights a lion, which is like right. So basically, it's the gray two with lions. And instead of Liam Neeson fist fighting a dire wolf, uh, he fist fights a lion. I'd like to see Liam Neeson be Batman. I think that could be pretty interesting. I mean, his his entire career post age sixty has been built upon him getting involved in fisticuffs, so it's entirely possible. Yeah, yeah. He'll take his kid. <laughs> of all the books we did pick up this week, I'm, I'm going to say that we picked up some really good ones. We were smart. We got the right ones because I'm telling you right now, my top two in my pick of the week were just wow. <laughs> number two, Southern Bastards. Number two. That's a really good book. That's Jason Latour and Jason Aaron. Uh, have you picked that one up yet, Steve? I haven't gotten two yet, but I read one, and I, I freaking loved it. Yeah, it's excellent. So I'm not surprised two was good either. I do – it's like the Jason – I was describing yesterday to someone, it's like the Jason Aaronist book that's ever Jason Aaron, which is what makes it great, I think. <laughs> and I love that he's kind of adopted the southern bastard persona on Twitter. If you've been paying attention, every response he makes is in that voice lately. <laughs> mm. I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, one... I didn't miss it, but, you know, he is from the South. I wonder if that is just his persona. It could be. Either way, it's been funny to me. <laughs> it's an awesome book, man. It's like walking tall, so I got a feeling for it. It's about to be I have a themed Twitter account recently, so I could get into that. Yeah. Earl Tubbs is a, a pretty serious protagonist. There's a lot going on in that story. You never really, I mean, they kept saying the, the villain's name, but you didn't really expect it to be the person it ended up being. Coach. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or at least you didn't expect that to be his actual occupation. <laughs> I, I really like that. I think that's perfect. I mean, that's a spoiling issue, too, a little bit for me, but I don't mind. But, like, the fact that the bad guy is, is apparently an actual coach, which it sounds like what you're saying, is hilarious and totally on point, I feel. It's <laughs> one of those towns you don't want to stop in. Yeah, unless you get yeah, the, 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 So the villain of Southern Bastards is also basically the villain of the Waterboy, but much more violent. Yes. Yeah, that's a fair <laughs> approximation. Waterboy? <laughs> <laughs> so what was your number one? Dead Body Road number six. That was my number two. <laughs> Violent story was moving. Had a great game. Uh, I liked the beginning from the beginning to the end. Uh, one through six. Just a great, great book. It was so violent. It was so great. Yeah, Justin Jordan wrote a really good story there about revenge. Just all the way through from issue one all the way through the end, like you said. It's just action-packed, full of violence, full of crazy stuff you don't typically see in comics. And then at the end, there's kind of that morality, kind of that, that message for the entire book that you get. And uh, it was just excellent. And, of course, Mateo Scalera did the artwork, and you know he's one of my favorites. Like, yeah. I, loved, I loved it. Hello. Yeah. Have you been reading that one, Steve? Oh, I'm not up in it, but I get uh, – but, but Justin Jordan is a master when it comes to action books. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been following him since Luther Strode, which was, has some – has, like, symphonies of violence in it. So that is not at all surprising to me. And Scalera is an animal. I met him – at Seattle Comic-Con, it's just shocking how much work he puts out and how amazing it is. That's one guy I really would like to meet and get a sketch from. I have, I have a bunch yeah. of original artwork, but I don't have... Well, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a totally nice guy with a very well-tucked ponytail. So I think it would be great to meet him. He's totally cool. Nice. Well, those were my top two. Those are your top two. Well, like I said, my number two was Dead Body Road number six. And my number one was Thanos Annual number one. 
uh, it's the first time in a while that Jim Starlin and Ron Lim have come back together and done a story. And they came back together to do a Thanos story, which, you know, I've told you before, I'm a huge Thanos guy. But this particular story takes place in the, in the margins from when Thanos had the Infinity Gauntlet. And he was omnipotent and he was omnipresent. So it's Thanos going back in time to other important moments in his life and watching himself and giving himself advice to change the future. And there's so many interesting things and so many cool places he goes and visits that if you're a Thanos fan and you've read all the books with Adam Warlock and Thanos, uh, you'll, you'll recognize. And I just absolutely loved it. You know, it could be that I'm biased because I'm such a big Thanos fan, but you know, I thought it was the best book of the week. And they're setting up the next one. All right, and they're setting up for the uh, Infinity Revelation, I think it's called. Uh, the original graphic novel, also written by Jim Starlin and drawn by Ron Lund. Can't wait. Yeah, it should be really good. Marvel doesn't make it in the top two too often, but this week it, it did. <laughs> that sounds like a what? That sounds like a very classic Thanos story, and very much like him to rely on himself for advice in the future as well. So I I, I would be behind that conceit pretty easily. I mean, he, he's always been a bit of an egotist, which I think is great. So I One think the reasons I like him. If you're saying. <laughs> Well, yeah, and so I think if he's if if his if his if he finds a way to make himself his own mentor, that's like perfectly cyclical and only feeds the ego more, which I think is pretty hilarious. So, what was your pick of the week, Miguel? I had uh, almost matched your pick of the week, but then I changed. I went with uh, a book that's already out there. I went with Team because of what happened in the book. You know, everything was supposed to be done, and it just a whole new chapter's opening up, and Redmond's about to about to take some people down. <laughs> What they did to him in that book, I was like even pissed. And I was ready for some action myself, so I can't wait for the next one. Up until now, Thief of Thieves has been very much about just the cunning and the Redmond outsmarting everybody, but it hasn't exactly been a violent book. Uh, this particular issue kind of takes it down a darker path and forces Redmond to become a character sort of like the Punisher. Kind of looks like it too, doesn't it? It's, it's a big change. For the, it's a big change in the direction of the story. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. We'll kick some ass and take some names. <laughs> My pick of the week is a new book from Warren Ellis and Jason Howard called Trees. And it's about these... <laughs> I'm a hippie. <laughs> you got the beard. <laughs> now, it's about these alien spaceships that come to Earth. And basically the tagline for the story is that we found intelligent life in the universe, but it doesn't think we are. So these, these alien spaceships come, and they basically plant themselves in the Earth and start harvesting the natural resources of our planet. And the spaceships resemble giant trees that stretch all the way into the atmosphere that, you know, everybody on the ground just calls them trees because they can't see the tunnels. And you don't really see any aliens or anything in the first episode, in the first issue. They're just kind of setting everything up. Uh, but it's a really interesting story because humanity starts getting wiped out by, you know, the radioactive waste these things are putting out and by, you know, just conflict that has happened that has been mentioned in the story but you haven't actually seen yet. It's, it's got a lot of potential. It's a very interesting story. It's a very interesting setup, but uh, not a whole lot happens in the first issue. I'm just looking forward to seeing more of it. Yeah, I like the book, and it's probably the only reason why I didn't take it to pick a week. Like, it was just, you know, slow-moving, setting it up. And some of the books that we read, like uh, Dead by Road and the other books we read that were slow-moving as well, at least had something that, like, wow. And this one just didn't have that for me. But I, I'm interested to see where they go with it. I really am. I like slow burn stories, so I have a lot of uh, anticipation for this one. Have you read it? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, well, I wanted to read Trees, and I definitely will, but I think it's interesting to hear you guys talk about it because, like, the pitch for it I see when Warren is doing interviews and things like this, and I say Warren is a type, but I've never met him, and he lives in the U.K. Um, so it uh, was always like, oh, well, this is about, like, these things that are changing the landscape and how we, as a people, react to them, which I thought was really fascinating, but also I like really weird shit. So uh, hearing you guys talk about it, is really interesting to me because it seemed almost like a very passive present a premise. Like you want it to be about alien invasions, but it's actually about what people are doing uh, and adjusting to this immutable force, which he was pitching as the as the trees that you mentioned. So I think it's kind of a bold idea. As you, you know, so a I'm not surprised though I haven't read it yet to hear you guys say that not a lot happened. But it's also really interesting to hear you talk about that you found it interesting anyway, because it seems like he's going for sort of like a left field turn. Uh, at least with what what he's going to be focusing on, and which I thought was really bold. So I, I'm pretty excited about it when I finally get my hands on it. I like the cover. You look at it as a tree, and then you see the roots under the ground, and it's a skull. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty good concept art. Um, but I actually just got my bundle of comics. I guess some confession, I get my comics monthly instead of weekly. Yeah, you told us that last time. So I'm sort of catching up, but I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I'm still loving. I'm still loving 
Five Ghost, which is like my number one read every year just for its like pulpy deliciousness. It is just like always solid and always super creative and just sort of very satisfying uh, when you when you want some like Indiana Jones type of adventure. But I'm fingering through them right now to see what else jumped out at me. I mean, it goes without saying, I mean, have you guys, are you guys reading Moon Knight? Yes. Oh, of course. <laughs> That's like, I am obsessed with Moon Knight. I'm obsessed with Moon Knight and All New Ghost Rider, which if you, uh, hopefully you're also checking out. We read the first issue of All New Ghost Rider. Actually, we read the first two issues of All New Ghost Rider. And as much as everybody else seemed to love it, we just couldn't get into it. Well, here's the thing. I think that, I think that there is something about Felipe Smith's writing that maybe seems to lend itself to, to unintentional parody. Like I, but I have to say that I think that Tread Moore, I mean, I'm reading it, I'm reading it because I love the idea behind it. And I do think he has a nice sort of like ground level idea, even if something about the voice is a little, uh, troubling for me. But Tread Moore, I think, draws some of the best, like, high octane, like, action and especially chasing which are super hard to draw in comics that i've ever seen like i've never that he, fit, he definitely I, adds he definitely adds a lot of energy to his uh his artwork and he he was the best thing about the book as far as we were concerned we liked the art but we just the story didn't draw us in like we hoped it would and we we buy so many comics we had to let something go by the wayside yeah but but you guys are liking moon knight we're loving moon knight oh, yeah. like I, i'm a big fan of declan shalvey's art and warren ellis of course is a great writer so Nothing, nothing not to like about Moon Knight. It, it's shocking. To me, it's such a classic Ellis book because in one hand, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then on the other hand, it's kind of shocking in its simplicity. And it's all about how he tells the stories. Like, you know, issue three, like, very li- it's interesting. And it could be this way with trees, too. Like, when you look at the books, not a lot happens. But what happens is fascinating. Or it's told in an incredibly inventive and exciting way. Um, like, the beats of issue three, for example... Uh, he gets his ass kicked, he goes home, puts on a new suit, and then he beats up the ghosts. Yeah. That's the whole book. And so, like, on one hand, like, that's pretty simple sounding, but it's, like, him and Declan are doing such a creative uh, telling of that, uh, which is kind of a universal story when you get down to the basic beats of it, but it's all about how inventive and sort of fresh they're making it. So I think it's really fascinating because it's all about their implementation. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, evidently, I missed an announcement where he is leaving, or they're both leaving it at the end of the summer. I hadn't heard that. Uh, disappointing. It is, because it's kind of like they're in such sync with what they want to do with it. When they leave, I don't know what I would want more, like someone trying to do an impression of what they do or someone trying to do something totally different. It's like, it's like how do you do a Kirby book now? Do you want an artist that draws like Jack Kirby, or do you want an artist that is as singular as Jack Kirby so they can do their own thing? Because no one is going to be as good as that, so should well, you just try to get as close as possible or do something as unique in a different way? The cool thing about Moon Knight is that he has so many different personas within him that you can tell each story from a different voice. And kind of, like if a new artist or new writer comes on, they can tell it from one of the different aspects that's in his head, and it'll still fit into what has already been done. Touch on one of the other personas, is what you're saying? Yeah. Good touch, bad touch. <laughs> Uh, it's up to him to decide. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying that uh, uh, for Moon Knight, you know, he has all those different personas in his head. So what? I'm Moon Knight. <laughs> You're Moon Knight? I'm Moon Knight. Well, you got Miguel and Horstocles and Merman in there. Right. <laughs> that would be a great marketing campaign for Marvel. Maybe yeah. you're Moon Knight. <laughs> Actually, well, realistically, it would be maybe, you, maybe you're Sleepwalker because we don't really know what's going to bed when we're asleep anyway. So maybe it is us. Maybe Sleepwalker is actually a documentary, and we'll never know. That's not my pitch for Sleepwalker, by the way, but it could be. Well, we, we had Comic Palooza this past weekend, like I told you, Steve, and it was pretty awesome. I mean, we got to interview a ton of good people. We talked to Mike and Ming from the Comic Book Men. We talked to Lou Ferrigno, who apparently broke one of our mics. Yeah, and he's got to be talking with me anyway. Yeah, and he did. We talked to Jason Mews. Uh, we, we talked to uh, Greg Capullo, Joe Rubenstein, Arthur Sweetum. Um, Capullo. Capullo apparently lives like like ten miles from me, and I didn't know this. Oh, that's awesome! You need to hang with him. That guy's I, hilarious. He's got quite the mustache on him. I don't know if I could be seen standing next to him, but I I do. No, apparently he lives in like Amsterdam, New York, which is like ten miles away. I had no idea. Like, uh, I, you know, I run a wine store, and so one of my delivery guys is like, "Oh, you do comics? You know, Greg Capullo? I hunt with him." I was like, "That that's impossible. Shut up." <laughs> He doesn't use a gun. He goes out with his bare hands. I believe. Probably, yes. <laughs> you stand next to Greg Capullo, you get plus 10 points and badasses. He does. Greg Capullo only hunts Chuck Norris, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Matt Frank? Oh, yeah, we talked to Matt Frank, the Godzilla guy. Um, it, was, it was a really good experience. It was Miguel's first time going to a con. And what? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, my God. <laughs> we got to, like I said, we got to get you guys to New York. Things will happen. Stuff will blow up. It'll be amazing. I don't need to get any uh, cream for that kind of stuff, do I? <laughs> well, if you did, it's readily available, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> now, we would love to come. Uh, well, yeah. Well, ooh, okay. <laughs> we, we would love to travel to New York Comic Con. <laughs> oh, check it's just a question of uh, whether or not we can get press passes and, and everything there. Because, I mean, I don't know how difficult it is to actually get interviews if you're not uh, already part of the press. Dude, you're blowing up reviews. People can't get enough the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, they have, like, they have like interview areas upstairs, but that might just be for, like, like, like CBR TV or something where you have to wear a, a lay. Uh, so, I, so I'm not sure. But, yeah, there are people all around. New York Comic Con feels a lot like San Diego, honestly, except like packed into a smaller space. So it is quite beefy, uh, but it's it's a great show. The first year I went, there was like no one knew about it yet, and there was like an oxygen bar for pros, and it was just like me who had barely been published at all, and like Tony Bedard sucking on the oxygen bar, <laughs> and uh, and then downstairs there was a sewing convention in the downstairs area. Weird. Uh, but now it's, it's, it's like almost too big. Like the Javits center is packed and you're like trying to get up an elevator, but there's like a woman who's wearing wings off her forearms, like pushing you back. (laughs) Uh, But comic cons, I'm glad you finally went because they're great. Like long ago I did San Diego in the small press area. And at the time I was single and this girl came up and was like, apparently wearing some type of moth costume and like leaned in to self-published comics. But anyway, I was like, Oh, is that a gypsy moth costume? The 1983, like Superman villain and anywhere else that would be like instant. You are going home alone, but she was very into it. And, and that only happens at Comic-Con. Usually when I pop out, Oh, is that fill in the blank from 1983 comics? Like you can see a smoke cloud. It's like a, it's like a it's like a Roadrunner cartoon. Yeah. Oh, you look ju- you look you look just like Titano, the kryptonite fueled monkey. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> uh, Miguel took pictures with a bunch of people. Uh, this one. Yeah, with the merman mask on, without the merman mask. I saw the merman that you should frame that. I saw the merman mask everywhere, and it's so very exciting to me because obviously I see on the Facebook, and I was very jealous. <laughs> yeah, I, I went on eBay as soon as we had established Merman as a official cast member and uh, found that mask. It's from a 1984 Halloween costume, kid's Halloween costume. It also came with a bodysuit, uh, which is made entirely of vinyl, which looks like Merman's abs or whatever. But, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, it was obviously too small for Miguel. <laughs> yeah, a little too small. <laughs> right now. Uh, no, that mask is a treasure, and you should make sure that you have it forever. Like, if you meet me to show, I'll wear it for a signing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the New York Con, the great Steve Orlando, Come on. Yeah, Undertow is now written by Merman, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I hit you with tweets every once in a while, trying not to pester you too much, but uh, you know, we talk about Undertow right now. It's, it's just awesome, Steve. I'm just telling you, you're nailing it. You're killing it. I mean, it's just an amazing book. I love it. Love the violence, the sex, the, the violence. I don't know if you've been listening to the show regularly, Steve, but Undertow has been in our top three books pretty much every week that it's come out. That um, makes that's super nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> Usually the sex and the violence. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they're separate, yeah, you know. We, we already established that. <laughs> but it's not it's not just because we're your friend and we like having you on the show and everything. Honestly, Undertow is incredibly well written. You've done such a good job with that script, and Ardiam has just done such an amazing job with the artwork. That world you've created is is something that I want to keep exploring for a long time, and hopefully, your sales are, are good enough that there will be a second series. I, I'm not too worried. It, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be kosher of me to truly get into that, but I wouldn't really worry about it. We definitely we definitely are hoping to come back, and it shouldn't be a problem when it does happen. That's good. So. That's, Yes, and I'm I'm glad you guys like it. I was like, it's it's so much has changed since the last time we talked. It's like now, the book has had like its bar mitzvah, and you guys totally know what's happening now. It was just like an infant before, and uh, now you've met the amphibian, and there's no going back, which is good. I was really nervous about that because all the other characters went through a lot of revisions, and Artyom and I like made up this like weird like face exploding naked guy that throws blood all over himself, and we were like, this is perfect. We don't have to do anything else. Uh, yeah. And apparently people are on board with it, so that, so that, that was very fortuitous. 
I mean, when he ripped the leg off the guy just for a snack. That's when I, I dropped the <laughs> leg. <laughs> That's a character developing scene for Kingu. What are you talking about? <laughs> we were like, screw the arm, hashtag the leg. <laughs> that that totally counts under the umbrella of the arm, okay? Plus, because Kingu lost his arm, it's, it's totally appropriate. He lost yeah. his hand, but we can count it. That's a technical. Yeah, I mean, like that's what I'm saying. We don't, you know, just because we know you, we don't like our, we don't show favoritism. I mean, there's been some other good books in there that have been trying to push you out the top, too. And we mentioned Kel earlier, Phil Simons with his Mercenary Seat. That book just appeals to me just as much as yours does. It's just an amazing book. Uh, and, of course, there's a bunch of other ones. But yours has been so amazing that it's just hung in there. Uh, it's been, like I said, it's been in my top, too. It's been in his. Great job, man. And I hope to see more of your stuff coming out here in the future. I'm hoping you're writing something new and continue to write this one more. I'm hoping you have a lot of success. I mean, that was going to be some of my questions for you. What else do you got coming at us from the great Steve Orlando? And, you know, we're hoping you're having tremendous success on this book now. Uh, and an appearance on our show helped you. <laughs> the uh, there there are certainly more things happening. I, I don't I don't even know what I can and can't say, but I will say that I've been researching some really strange stuff. So um, I've been looking a lot into on, on the on the violent side. I've been researching this Georgian martial arts style. That's Republic of Georgia, not um, you know the home of peaches. Um, <laughs> Uh, called Credoli, which apparently has like as long of a tradition as karate and kung fu, but like for some, because Georgia is small and in the Caucasus, no one really knows about it. So I've been looking into that a lot, which if that comes together will involve a lot of punching. So hopefully you guys will be happy with that. There's significant amounts of punching. Punching uh, is always good. Yes. I know. And, um, and then I also have a story in which no one gets punched that is definitely coming out later in the year, but it does involve a myth about cow's urine. So that's always, that seems like something I would write. Yeah. <laughs> you sent Miguel like, that care package a few weeks ago with the uh, the Russian book you did, and the name of it is escaping me right now. But oh, Octobriana! I totally forgot I sent you guys that. Well, he, I read he, that. That was a very interesting story. <laughs> well, um, I I love Chaz's work on that. Side note: It was very surreal for me to be working with a guy that drew Animal Man um, with Grant Morrison, but. Um, I actually forgot I sent you guys that, and I'm super glad you read it, because that's even stranger than Undertow in many ways. <laughs> I can expect nothing but strange things from you, and I love all of that. Yeah, yeah now you know. Like, that was a hard sell for people originally, because it opens with an MMF threesome, but also a lot of punching. And so, like, it's a little bit of from both sides of my personality. And, yeah, but clearly you powered through it onto the other types of punching. But, no, that was very fun. I'm glad you guys got that. That's I, I uh, Actually, I will admit... Totally forgot I threw that in there, but I'm very happy I was able to get in front of you. But no, I, I'm glad you guys were able to check that out. That has some of, some of my favorite stuff that I've done since uh, I got into the biz. So that, that's super cool. Hashtag the strange. <laughs> I will tell you, like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about the business side too much, but I will say that I'm at a point in my life where people know my work and, like, a little bit. So like when when I pitch a book and I'm like I'm like laying out the log lines and one of them is like oh it's about Indian painting and cow's urine and they're like print it and I'm like wow this is what it's like to make <laughs> I say cow's urine and they're like done we know what you mean oh okay yeah, I'm sure it's great to be at that point <laughs> uh yeah but what is that? I suppose in general but the fact that yes it is great but I I like that like cow's urine and of course the other story I wrote for you know I was in mystery in space and it was about centaurs getting naked and taking drugs to go through puberty. So, and if you didn't know that, look it up. Mystery in Space, May 2012. I'm in it. And, yep, it's about centaurs taking drugs. So. I'll have to find that. <laughs> yes. I want to read this right now. Yeah, I, I love really trippy, just weird stuff. And, and you seem to be a master at writing that kind of book. So. Well, then you will love it. Uh, people didn't know what to make at the time because no one knew me. And, yeah, it's, it, basically it's about, the, it's about this, uh, this race of alien centaurs that take this root and then they have this huge acid trip where their human side fights their horse side, and it decides what type of person they're going to be. And there's there's plenty of action, but also yes, it's about them doing drugs and getting naked. So I got a book to the horse. <laughs> Miguel and his horses. He loves them. Horse lover. Hey, wait a second here, <laughs> man. What did I did I? Yeah, I tweeted about Steve one time. I said there's something strange going on in his head. But God help him, we love him. <laughs> there he is. It's really true. Like, one of my friends came uh, from San Francisco, and she's not a comic reader until I started doing comics, which, God love her, we went to college together. And I, which, you know, my college writing career basically consisted of me, like, brandishing my fist to the sky and shattering for four years. Uh, like, 
you know, no, nothing happened except for my jaw was getting sore. And, um, <laughs> but then like uh, this happens, you know, she goes to this comic store in uh, San Francisco, which is where she lives. And the only book she pulls is Undertow, which is very sweet of her. But like she went in after like issue three and the guy was like, do you know this guy? He seems pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, oh, yeah, you have no idea. So, but it, which, you know, I was like, wow, I'm glad you played along. I'm not that strange. What are you talking about? But no, I'm really glad you guys have been on board. Like it, And, and more more things are coming. Like, you know, as as we say in interviews and things like that, it's, so much of the book is mostly about things that Artyom and I just think are awesome. Like, and, and certainly there's just, obviously there's a story around it and you're enjoying it. But like how an issue starts is often like him sending me lists of things like these are things I want to draw. Wouldn't it be great to see people in spacesuits riding horses? And like, that's how, that is essentially how Undertow came about. Like, what have we never seen Atlantean people doing? And he like sent me this big list of things that he wanted to draw. And was like, I can make that happen for you. Huh. And it's, and it's worked out really well. I mean, because a lot of people ask about like, Oh, well, how have you envisioned all these, how these things work? And it's really all about, it's like that it's problem solving. We know where we want to get, but instead of just going there and skipping the in-between, we're sort of explaining how we get there. Uh, and that counts for the story beats and also for, like, how we know how these people do things. Like, did like we spent so much time arguing back and forth about things that I wonder if you guys even noticed, like how that lamp works in the Uruku and Zikia scene that runs on, like, fish food. Um, I did not notice that. Yes, well, there you go. Our fish boobs and violence and punching and eating. Fish, fish food, fish food, not fish food. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said boobs. It, run, it runs on fish boobs. <laughs> yeah, well, there are those in that scene, too, actually, but... um. <laughs> No, yeah, so we, that was the thing. Like We were like, oh, if they're bioluminescent lights, how do the little bacteria in them survive? And so we thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to have a scene where the light is going out and you see that they have to sprinkle little food in to feed the light every once in a while so that it stays on. That makes a lot of sense. And it's your writing process seems very interesting. I, I can now that you've told us that that Artie, I'm just said I want to write, I want to draw these things, and you just sort of fit it all together and made it work. It makes a lot more sense how the story came about. Well, certainly, like it's a, it, it's a give and take. But yeah, I mean, I knew like he's he's so design oriented, like, and I'm very about writing. You know, listen, like comics are never great if the artist is bored. So like, if he sends me a list of things that he thinks are awesome, I would be an idiot to make sure most of those things happen. Because everything is going to get so much better because he's going to be happy. And so because the, when people are enthusiastic, the work is so much better. So, yeah, like it's he and he he loves weird stuff, too. Like he, he's a little bit nervous. I maybe about these radio shows because Russian is his first language and English is not. But he's just as into weird stuff as me. That's why we get along. So, uh, you know, it's kind of why Miguel and I get along, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like he the, the, the stranger and the more weird things we can show these fish people doing the happier we both are so we it, it's very there's a nice symbiotic relationship happening there but with none of the weird teeth and spine eating that happens with like venom and carnage do you remember when venom used to eat spines it was a kind of a weird time yeah it was i remember that i mean that was the 90s i'm someone that one of the first comics i bought as a semi semi-adult was the issue where the scarlet spider gets a hoodie so oh, yeah. it's actually kind of shocking that I'm, i've made it this far Ben Riley with his jean jacket hoodie. Exactly. Yes, but back in the day, oh my God, we've come full circle. So Frank Barberi from Five Ghosts loves sleeveless hoodies, and it might have been before this, uh, before this podcast last time that I was talking to him about it. Maybe not. It might have been a different one. But long story short, I'm not the only person working in comics right now that secretly was very inspired by the sleeveless hoodie of the Scarlet Spider. I can see that. He's the one writing white suits, right? Yes, he is, but it's not blue sleeveless suits, so there, it, it, it's it's not as much of a connection as you might think. But yes, he's the white suits guy and a complete gentleman, and actually teaching comics in Denmark right now, so he's pretty awesome. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed his book too. Well, I have uh, I have something for you, Steve. Last time you came on the show, you gave us a challenge for us to uh, figure out before you came back. Wow, I oh well, what was it? Well, you're we talking about Stinkor. Oh God. And you wanted to know what made Stinkor smell. And why oh, did you retain that smell? You found out what it was? I did. <laughs> Turns Wait, out, when they made the mold for Stinkor, they poured patchouli oil into it. That's So he just smells like a hipster? Yep. That's kind of anticlimactic in some ways. Kind of. Uh, there's also another character called Mossman that they poured pine scent into. Oh, I know Mossman. I have that too. Let's be clear. Mossman is in my basement. It's um, mine too. He's also... He's decoupaged, if you remember correctly. Like, he's fucking mossy, which is hilarious. Yeah, have you looked at him recently? They don't hold, the moss doesn't hold up yeah. so well after years. 
It does not. No, he's more, he's like balding moss man at this point. <laughs> but truly in the plastic, that's shocking because as a child, that smelled terrible. The the smell apparently is the same now as it was back then, and it's expected to maintain that smell for up to 40 years. Wow. Stinkor's stink has a half-life of 40 years? Yep. Put some stink on <laughs> So I did a little research for you. I wanted to uh, make sure I got that information to you. <laughs> that That is pretty pleasing to me. Um, I can't think of a more ridiculous 80s toy question I could have asked. <laughs> apparently I will have to now. There was a guy at Comic Palooza who was selling pretty much almost every He-Man action figure there. All right, so I'm assuming you bought me a Stinkor for whenever I met you. There wasn't a Stinkor and there wasn't a Moss Man. I'll get you one. Don't worry. There was a Triclops. Uh, <laughs> I asked the guy for the tripod, like, who? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind, what is it, Manny Faces? I've always liked that guy, too. Manny Faces, Faces is there. Manny Faces is my favorite. Yeah. There was a Although, if there was, do you know, like, uh, we can we can, we can can subtweet about He-Man a little bit here and ask, was there a toy line with the, like, very odd uh, Dolph Lundgren movie? Because if so, I would like a Gwildor toy. There is a Gwildor toy. I actually have it. No, you don't. I do. I have a Gwildor toy. <laughs> that movie is something. There was uh, there was four characters that came out of the movie. Uh, there was Blade, Sarad, Gwildor, and then... Uh, uh, who was the fourth uh, assassin guy? Cause um, it, the Reptile. Was that Sarad or was that a different one? That was Sarad. There was Sarad, Blade, Beastman, and then one other. I can't remember the other one's name. The guy with the hook, right? But what was his name? Yeah, I can't remember his name either. I can wiki that, but no, I, he had a toy. The hook guy was great. Yeah, all, all three of the villains that hadn't been introduced yet had toys, and then Gwildor had a toy. And I had all of them except for Blade. I always wanted a Blade, and I could never find one. Gwildor really entertains me because, like, today when you watch movies, you know that the reason Gwildor exists is because they could not afford a guy that floated to play Orko. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Because it was, although, like, his character is amazing, but his greatest fascination when he comes to Earth is fried chicken. <laughs> And he's talking to the cows. <laughs> yes, like he can make interdimensional gates that work on super science, but he can't master a fried chicken leg. It's just, it's, it's preposterous. I love him. I mean, that movie has a special place in my heart, though it is quite bad. Same here. Those mine too. Trash can. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I, man. That cop, that the, the cop at the end who refers to himself in the third person and decides to stay in Eternia, amazing. <laughs> no one would make that choice. Nope. Like, and the fact that he referred, I can't remember his name, but I do know he, rem- he refers to himself in the third person, which is awesome. It's like a proto-Bob Dole. It's got uh, Shannon Doherty in it. Shannon Doherty's in it? She's, uh, she plays the girl, the main girl. Courtney Cox plays the girl. Oh, that's right. It's, the main, uh, it's Courtney Cox. You're right. Oh, are you that guy from Comic Palooza? So tell me, did it hurt when you died in Predator Billy <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Billy D. Williams was a comic blues and somebody asked him if, if uh what it was like to die in Predator. Oh, that's that's gotta hurt for a variety of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Carl, I was talking about Predator earlier today because I found uh I've have you seen the video of Jean Claude Van Damme in the in the mocap suit running around on the set of Predator? Mm-mm. Oh my god. So if you haven't, when we're done with this, or as we're doing this, I really don't care. You should just Google AV Club Jean-Claude Van Damme Predator, and there's an article which culminates in a video. Because, you know, Van Damme was originally the guy in the Predator suit until they found out that he was really short, uh, which you would think they would have realized in the beginning. But anyway, so they found he was too short for the suit when it was on screen, but he still was able to complete the filming when he was in the mocap suit that they used for the uh, for the invisibility effect, okay? Hmm. So this is like one of his first ever roles in America when he came from Belgium. And so uh, if you go to this article, you'll see video of him in this ridiculous, what essentially looks like a, like, like an alien lobster costume. It is bright red. And he's like just running around and like squatting and sitting down on things, like jumping over things like an idiot. Because apparently he didn't understand the actual purpose of what he was doing and thought that was the costume. <laughs> Interesting. He, what does he look like? It's hard to explain. He, it, he looks like the green man if the green man were the color of like cherry sherbet. Like it is absurd looking. So you must find it. It's awesome. And it's completely ridiculous. If you're a fan of Jean-Claude Van Damme like I am because I think he is totally in on the joke and I, and I, and I love it. I want to fight Tong Po. <laughs> Thank you. Is that Kickboxer or Bloodsport? Because I was I was actually ranting about Kickboxer earlier today. That was uh, no, hang on, I got me messed up. That was uh, 
Kung Fu is kickboxer. Kickboxer is the ridiculous one where he where he has a brother that is a different ethnicity. His brother is clearly a different ethnicity than him, but they try to write it off by saying one was raised in America and one was raised in Belgium. But that actually does not change your ethnicity. I don't know where they. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that one because Bloodsport's the one where he's in the military and he goes and fights in the Kumite. Yeah, well, the Kumite and the Kumite theme song is great. The lyrics to which are Kumite, mm-hmm. but um, because <laughs> freaking Bolo Young's in that one, he's the bad guy. I know. Well, Bolo is great. Um, Can we all just agree that his best movie is Street Fighter? I'm not going home today. <laughs> it's no, he's he plays an American guy born and raised in America so well in that. <laughs> His accent is completely subverted in the role. It's fantastic. My favorite moment from Street Fighter is when Zangief realizes they're the bad guys. and We're the bad guys! <laughs> Street Fighter is really something. Um, even as a child, I was I, I was a little puzzled. Um, but apparently Ming-Na plays Chun-Li in that, which is shocking to me. Really? I did not I realize that. I think that's her. And now she's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, uh, we, we saw her this weekend, too. Well, I think she's doing better in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. than she is in Street Fighter because it's not Street Fighter. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, and Kylie Minogue is Cammy, if that's what you just said. Like, what happened in that movie? I mean, to be fair, though, it is better than Street Fighter 2, The Legend of Chun-Li. That movie was a pile of crap. (laughs) Which I I saw it in theaters. I'll come clean on that. Um, But I I did immediately regret that decision when they had an Irish guy playing M. Bison. That was kind of a letdown for me. There's not a whole lot of movies that I really just absolutely hated, but that, that was among them. I really well, didn't like it. It is as bad as Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation, but it's not as fun in a bad way. Right. That's a I mean, pretty good uh, description. <laughs> I mean, Annihilation was so bad that, again, even 8-year-old me was like, this is crap. Yeah, I was not happy with that. I was like, come on. But it still had some, some funny moments and stuff. Well, no, I owe a lot to the Mortal Kombat movies. I, to this day, whenever Teen Wolf is on the internet, I will go on Twitter and troll Lyndon Ashby just because I think it's hilarious that he has a career uh, <laughs> after playing Johnny Cage. And, like, no matter how many times I'll, 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 like, tweet at him that those were $500 sunglasses, asshole, he's never gotten back to me. <laughs> That's about as good as I'm your number one fan. But but if he's listening, Lyndon, I'm here. So Miguel started doing this thing where every person he tweets, he does the hashtag, I am your number one fan. Yeah. So he's told so many people that he's their number one fan. It's really funny, to me at least. Well, they're probably they're probably cataloging those. I know, they're going to click on it, and then it's going to be nothing but Miguel telling everybody that. Have you told Lyndon Ashby? No, but I think we're going to now. Do it right now. Go picture at him. See if he responds and then tell him, you know, those are $500 sunglasses, asshole. You should have him on. What if he wanted to go on the podcast? Probably not. He's probably way too important playing the dad on on, on, uh, on Teen Wolf. Playing dads is where 90s action stars go. Uh, the Flash is now the dad of The Flash, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, it is. Oh, speaking of TV news, did you hear that they cast Daredevil today? I, I did see that, and his hair is so long and flowing. It's uh, Charlie Cox. Um uh, yeah, the guy from Stardust. Yeah, he's the main, the main guy in Stardust, and he was also in Boardwalk Empire. So how was he in Boardwalk Empire? Because I don't have a TV, so I did not watch that, but I have he, seen Stardust. He played um, this Irish assassin guy who was like the assistant to the main character all through season three. And he was such a – I'm going to spoil some stuff here. He was such a, a cool character. He easily became my favorite character the entire season. Uh, and, of course, he met a gruesome end. But uh, – yeah, he was the best part about season three of that show. I mean, he could be fun. It's it, you know, he he could he kind of looks like Daredevil. I don't, I don't have a lot to go off of, but it's exciting that they're doing it. It's exciting that they're giving it a thirteen episode show. Yeah, I'm surprised you've actually seen Stardust because not a lot of people have. Um, I did see it, and um, yeah, I did too. I read that book when I was out of the country, and uh, I actually really enjoyed it. It had like a, a very fun tone, and I think they did a pretty good job. It was a little more camp than I expected from the book, but I did really enjoy it. I never read the book; I just saw the movie, but I liked it. I liked it too. Yeah, I've seen neither. We need to watch. You've seen Shame. I know you saw. But Shame. yeah, I. I... <laughs> That is slightly different in tone than Stardust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see that movie again. I don't need to see Magneto that way ever again. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a totally new take on Magneto. It's the Marvel Max take on Magneto, actually. It's still, it's a solo movie. Four dogs down to the ground. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody wishes they were Magneto, right? So can we can we talk about Days of Future Past? Or like, what are what is it, what else is on your docket? Well, the only thing about Days of Future Past is we have not seen it yet. So, no, we cannot talk about it, okay? 
uh, we, we did the con, and uh, something that I wanted to do for the con, because we got press passes and I felt like they went out of their way to help us and hook us up with interviews and stuff, I really wanted to do everything I could to try to promote the con and to get buzz going about it. So we, we, we did everything we could. We handed out flyers to everybody that was in line, told them we were doing coverage every single day, recorded an episode every single day with all of our interviews, and I stayed up till 3 a.m. editing them, posted them, would get up at 6, and then go right back to the con. I mean, it was it was rough. It was five days in a row we did episodes, but I think all of them turned out pretty well. And we were up sick. You know, <laughs> Miguel was really sick, and he's, he's he was a trooper. He, uh... He came and, and still did the interviews and still <laughs> walked the floor for like nine hours, even though he was falling down because he couldn't even stand up. I don't, I don't doubt it. They are, they are cons are a crazy thing, man. They, are, they are exhausting. Yeah. By the end of the fourth day, it's funny. I was talking to a coworker today who listens to the show, and I heard that from beginning of episode one from the weekend until the end of episode four, you could see the slow transition of us losing our energy. <laughs> Like, you listen to them back-to-back, back, you can tell by the time you get to the end that we were just exhausted. I don't doubt it. Like, I sometimes I consider getting a table at shows simply because by Sunday, you would almost pay any price to be able to sit down. And, like, I make friends that I've never had before because I'm like, oh, my God, no one's at your table. <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of lucky because Comic Palooza is at that stage where it's just now getting big enough to pull really big guests, but it's not so big that it's overcrowded and there's still... Like, you can go to the cafeteria area and get food and sit down for a little while. Um, there's panels upstairs. Like, there's there's places to sit and relax. You don't ever feel like it's, you're claustrophobic in there. That's your problem right there. That's your problem right there is you're eating the con food. That's why you're not feeling well. Yeah, that, that's probably part of it. <laughs> I ate the con food before. Remember, I got sick from the food. At work. Uh, that's true. You got sick at work, yeah. But you did eat those nachos. The nachos were actually good. And that was actually the day I felt good. That was, like, the next day after I sweat like, like someone threw a bucket of water on me. Great. No, they're they're nuts. I mean, I actually Seattle when I went to Emerald City Comic Con was very nice. It was not as packed. Uh, it it wasn't like a like a five day salmon run like most of them are. So the, so that was very nice. But uh, it's no the, like cons that are just starting out are always so much better because it is not like just it's it's not just like you're wanting to fist fight people just so you can like touch a comic book. Um, and not I mean any comic book, not like big numbers number three or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was it was an experience. Comic Blues has gotten much bigger. Uh, it seems like they've doubled in size every year. This year they had a lot of really good guests. I mean, I, I named a bunch of them before. They also had Stan Lee as a last-minute draw. Um, and like I said, we did everything we could to try to promote. I mean, we did the show and talked about all the cool things that were there to try to entice people to come. Mm -hmm. And actually, our numbers spiked tremendously uh, following the con. So I think a lot of people at least checked us out, which is pretty awesome. A lot of people came and said, hey, you favorite our tweet. <laughs> and I think that our coverage was actually fairly representative of what we're willing to do at other cons because we actually got press passes to go to Alamo City Comic Con in September. So we're going to be attending another con and doing the same thing in San Antonio in a couple months. But the, I think I think most of the cast of The Walking Dead is going to be there. And uh, yeah, Miguel's really excited to meet T Dog. <laughs> he still does cons even though he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yeah. Comic Blues was a lot of fun, and uh, can't wait for next year. It should be fun again. Well, you guys are always welcome to give a similar amount of coverage to the Albany Comic Con. You could definitely cover every aspect of it. It is a one-day convention in a hotel lobby. Um, that's how a lot of them are. I mean, I travel to a lot of those types of cons here in Texas, and that's a good place to pick up books you're missing or whatnot, but they don't usually have celebrity draw or a whole lot of writers or artists there. Uh, I don't know if it's different up there. More, more of a pool to choose from, I guess, because there's more people that live in New York than there is in Houston. Well, you know, New York is still three hours away. Albany Con usually is me and Ron Mars because he lives outside of Albany. And uh, actually, Starlin lives around here, so he uh, he sometimes comes too. Starlin's somebody I definitely want to meet sometime. When is that con? It's twice a year, my friend. So it's, it's, it's June. Well, actually, it's June 15th, and then there's always one in the fall too. That's good, man. <laughs> uh, well, so and and it's and it's very close to like a Buffalo Wild Wings, so there's that too. That's, I'm in. that's all. I can't say Miguel lives for wings. So. <laughs> My wife says she's coming. <laughs> we have recently installed a Dave and Buster's in Albany. I still don't know what that is, but apparently people are excited about it. It's okay. The the one down here is is just okay. It's basically like a big arcade for adults. You can't go to Dave and Buster's here in Houston because it's in a shady part of town. Well, I would go, listen, I would go to an arcade where you could eat food if they had the game that I want to play, which is the X-Men coin-op game. Yeah, that was hard to find. I found a place you can stream it, you can stream it online, but it's not exactly the same. Like, I want to be able to smash that joystick and rage when I die in, like, the first five minutes. I know what you mean. <laughs> Passion. 
<laughs> That's how I felt about the Simpsons game. Like, the Simpsons game I also used to play all the time, and you should be able to... It's the Simpsons, man! Like, you should be able to win, but it was really hard. And despite the fact that Marge should be the best because she's hitting people with a vacuum, that is not the case. So who did you play as Marge? <laughs> well, I logically, I thought that she'd have the most powerful strikes, even as a child, because a vacuum does much more damage than Lisa's jump rope. Come on now. Uh, but th- they were all weighed the same. They, they didn't listen to my logic. So, yes, I-, I-, I did play as Marge. I'm not ashamed of it. She has the giant, like, blue hair. I mean, what could you not love? <laughs> There's very little. I I mean, the episode, the Simpsons episode where she keeps retailering that one suit she gets on sale that's a good a designer suit it's one of the greatest statements on class struggle that i struggle that i've seen in the past 30 years it's like that and then like elysium was like a poor imitation of that yeah <laughs> and actually as i think about this i'm pretty sure jody foster was wearing that suit <laughs> in elysium um <laughs> yeah demon we've seen team america world police i have not actually that's a movie you should definitely check out. Well, you know, you can, uh, next time, if I come on the show again, we can just MST3K that movie. It seems as though you have strong opinions about it. Yeah, we could definitely do that. <laughs> I mean, if I picked a movie that that would be, that would, uh, it would be, it would be probably equally ridiculous. I don't know what it would be. It might be The Marine. <laughs> That's one of Miguel's favorite movies. Can we talk about the fact, can we talk about how many things explode in the Marine? Like, if I was to play a drinking game every time something exploded in the Marine, I could not get through the Marine. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what am I watching? (laughs) Like, there are so many things I love about that movie. I love the fact that they named his character John, most likely because they were worried he would not know he was acting. (laughs) I love that, like, so many of the things he does to dodge bullets are, like, duck. (laughs) He's Um, like Steven Seagal, man. uh, Yeah. Well, I have a whole other thing that reasons I love Steven Seagal. I, I recently described him today when I was discussing John Clan Van Damme as now he basically looks like a manatee that knows karate. He's he, he's <laughs> like if you Google Steven Seagal jazz, like there are pictures of him playing a guitar, but it looks like he's roasting himself in a spit. Like it's- <laughs> oh I'm, I'm totally googling this right now. He looks like he's falling over that thing, and it's supporting him. I don't even know where I was. Oh, and also in the Marine, how many times they say he's a Marine? Again, in case you forgot. Like, there's some... And the ending scene where, like, things blow up that have no blow-upable potential. <laughs> like, that scene where there's a truck, and he goes into a building, and the truck is out of control, and there are, liter- there, there are legitimately, like, power converters set up conveniently so you can have three minor explosions in a row before he goes through a window... And then the window explodes, and windows don't explode. <laughs> it's right up there with um, Hard Target, where at one point Van Damme is running through the bayou, and the bayou just starts exploding. <laughs> Hard Target, let me tell you something. It's real bad, but I like watching it. What's the other one, Double Take? Is that where he's playing himself and his brother? Or oh, what? like this is a whole nother, we're going to need another hour if we're talking about Double Impact, which is... <laughs> double, impact, yeah, <laughs> double Impact, where you get, like, first of all, Double Impact, all you have to watch is you can go on YouTube right now, and they, if you, there's an intro scene where he's teaching, like, gymnastics, and he's wearing, like, a, like a male unitard and discussing how his big legs in karate allow him to do the, spits, the splits no problem. And that's the whole movie. Like, there are other things that happen in the movie, but not really, because nothing gets better than that. Yeah, he's always got to do the splits something. No, well, yes. Like, again, like, that's why I love him, because he's shamelessly upfront about the fact that each movie will have a, an increasingly more ridiculous reason where only a split can save him. Did he do a split in the, uh, the Expendables yeah. 2? I can't remember if he did or not. Now, I, I've studied this. Uh, he, uh, he did not do a split, but he did do the jumping split kick. Yeah, and he also did the head thing, too, where he like, hits you with the head, the head butt. Yeah, and I was sad about that, actually, but I, but the spin kick is really his thing, so, like, I accepted it. What more pissed me off about that is that Chuck Norris did not do a, a goddamn roundhouse kick in that movie. He didn't have to. Chuck was killing everything. Now, has, has, Van, Damme, has Van Damme ever done the splits and said those are $500 sunglasses, asshole? No. I, oh, my God. You know what, though? He's, again, he's in on the joke. If you saw him on the street, he would a, he would probably do a split for, like, $20. Because he needs it now, or what? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, actually, I liked the rumor that unfortunately apparently was not true that he was going to be coming back in Expendables 3 as Jean Villain's tw- evil twin bro- eviler twin brother, Claude Villain. Yeah, I remember reading about that. And I oh, I would have been so excited because that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> 
who they all got in this movie? Yeah, well, actually, as we just go further off topic, what the hell is with Kelsey Grammer seemingly being a name again? He's in, like, three movies this summer, supposedly as, like, an action star. It's Frasier. No one cares. Really? That's weird. He's in Expendables 3, and his name, it's like, it's like Snipes, yeah. Stallone, Grammer. What? Liam Neeson's in the movie. Uh, Harrison Ford's in the movie. No, I don't think Liam Neeson. Harrison Ford's in the movie. Mel Gibson. And, and Mel Gibson. Uh, but that one at least kind of makes sense. I mean, he's done action movies before. No, those make sense. But what is Kelsey Grammer doing in there? Can he even hold a gun? Is he going to start, like, it, I don't he's know. Psycho psychoanalyze the heroes until they, like, run away and board them. And then, and then he's in, and then he's in, he's in Transformers a thousand or whatever's coming out this summer too. Yes. It doesn't even make sense. Besides his like jowly, like he should be playing like Winston Churchill. Like I, that's like, there's nothing I I'm flabbergasted, but he's back. Like Kelsey Grammer is back. And then wow. the directors all went back and saw down Periscope and realized he's going to do that. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, yes. And they wanted to know where that tattoo was. Clearly I've seen that movie. <laughs> uh, no, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. I don't even know how to feel about that. In between, uh, I spoke with you last, and now I have revealed online that the entire soundtrack to Undertow is actually Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which you might have seen somewhere in an interview, but if not, it is. Hmm. Uh, actually, every single chapter title is a Nick Cave song, uh, which is kind of... Anywhere. <laughs> well, it is, and actually, it's, you know, I was inspired because Robert Kirkman secretly or not secretly names all of his Invincible trades after 80s sitcoms. I didn't know that either. Oh, that's true, and now you look at them and realize they're all, yeah, like... I didn't really realize until I was like, wow, there's one called All in the Family and one called Family Matters. That's a little strange. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and, um, and then I looked at him and I was like, holy shit. Which means eventually he's going to have to stop the book or find like shows that no one watched, but he's not there yet. It's going to be hard uh, to do Small Wonder. And... <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's not one called Dynasty yet, which is really sad for me. Golden Girls. <laughs> you know, I, I like one of the Golden Girls today. I'm wow. like, what the fuck? I'm like 30 years old. Fuck you. I'm not like old and shit. Which one do they say you were? That makes all the difference. Which it does one? make all the difference. They say you're B. Arthur. Like, they're saying a lot more than just old. <laughs> <laughs> no, they said I was Rose. Rose is the good one. She's sassy. Yeah. You shouldn't yeah. take that as an insult. It's also the promiscuous one. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just whoever called you. You said it, not me. <laughs> I'm just telling you who Rose was. I know who Rose was. <laughs> I, don't, I don't represent her. Well, all, you know, all aspects. Look at it this way. Rose is the only one that's still alive. Oh, well, that's good. That's, that's true. That's true. I forgot. They all died. Yeah. Uh, and now and, and now she's on her fifth sitcom, and she's 92. So that's a lot to aspire to. Um, <laughs> we're not I, talking. I, I like your perspective. I was moving shit all day, and somebody said that to me, and I was like, really? This is not the time to be having this conversation, because I'm your boss. That's such a Rose thing to say. <laughs> 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 I think we have gone off on so many tangents where we talked about Van Damme and, and Stallone and Chuck Norris and talked about comics a little. We've been all over the place today. It's yeah. been fun. <laughs> but seriously, though, Batman Thirty One, he fights a lion. So you guys should get into that. just for that. Like to be clear, I don't even always every month pick up Batman, but I do pick it up when I see a preview and he's fighting a lion. Are you trying to put us back on track, Steve? <laughs> yes. yes, I am. Well, we're going to pick up Batman next week when we have a little more money. We just uh, spent way too much on Comic Palooza, so. No, yeah, that can happen. I, I I once spent a whole weekend trying to track down. Did you know that Jack Kirby did an adaptation of 2001 Space Odyssey? I did know that, actually. So I have the, I finally have all of them, but it took me a long damn time to find them all. I can imagine that. Because, as as I'm sure you know, it, like, it started out as an adaptation of that, but somehow... Within eight issues, it also became the origin of Machine Man, which is a pretty good trick. Uh, but either way, yeah, I, 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 I wasted so much at cons trying to find real copies of that uh, that, did, that weren't just abysmal. Because no one's collected it, probably because it's a rights nightmare. I don't know, but I would definitely buy one. I mean, I will buy any weird Jack Kirby collection, to be fair. I have a hard copy of In the Days of the Mob in my house. Oh, wow. Um <laughs> Those are fun though. That in Spirit World, if you get in them, because it has like it has like prose pieces he was doing, and also like photo comics, which are super rare from him. It's pretty nerdy, but they are pretty cool. If you're a Kirby guy, which on some level you have to be if you like punching. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a Kirby guy. I haven't read a ton of his stuff, but everything I have read, I've really enjoyed. Once you adjust to the dialogue style, of <laughs> that was actually a good one. I don't think Steve heard you. <laughs> what? He's, he's big and pink. He's a Kirby guy. <laughs> 
caught up with that. That's fine. With the fat jokes. <laughs> you had the brown jokes all weekend. I did. I told you how to make money at the cons when we buy our books. Shane with selfies. We sell them. <laughs> you saw I brought sexy back at the con. I don't think that's what happened. <laughs> Yeah, DC is doing a selfie variant cover month, so you're you're very much in the zeitgeist right now. There you go. I don't actually know what that means, since comic characters are people and are actually physically incapable of taking selfies, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to work out. Um, but well, I should pro- uh, I, I may have to wrap soon here, gentlemen. Uh, uh-huh. But it's exciting, as I said, I'm excited for you guys to see issue five too, because there's even more strange stuff, and uh, hopefully, I think one of my favorite scenes in the book that actually does not involve any violence, only the implication thereof, but I think it's one of the better things that our channel has ever done. And right now, we gotta, we're finishing up issue six, and then also the trade is coming coming together. That hasn't been solicited yet, but it's coming out in the fall, uh, and I've got some fun stuff happening on that, too. We also are featuring a really, really I, you know, you guys will hopefully will be excited um, Artyom found, he just like seems to be like a wealth of like interesting Slavic artists, so there's actually a guest artist that's doing a stinger scene for us in issue six, and I just got the pages, and they are, like, totally different from RTOM's work, but also just, like, so incredibly cool and unlike unlike any other comic artist. Just like he doesn't really draw like anyone else. There's certainly influences, but uh, he sort of has his own thing. This guy, I don't even know how he makes a page come together because it just it looks unlike anything else I've seen. So I'm really excited for you guys to see that, and there's going to be uh, even more extra content in the trade. So we're trying to make it as uh, as, as beefy as possible. Uh, once it once it's in your hand, uh, everything you guys have done so far, like I said, I've absolutely loved. So I can't wait to get to the end of the series and find out how everything wraps up. Uh, I wish I could tell you, but I'm not going to. Obviously, <laughs> but surprisingly, I know. But I've been keeping that secret for four years now, so now I have to keep keeping it for a few more months. <laughs> Only a few more. Um, but that's great. And uh, you know, I, I, you guys, the support and things is, is huge like I can't that's a whole other conversation that I shouldn't get into too much before you wrap up but like for like upstart creators like us like hearing things and like just spreading the word is actually huge like I see other people are talking about like pre-orders and things like that online and it really does make so much of a huge difference um, especially for like up and coming creators like myself and RTM and other guys in our position like it makes all the difference so it's you know, it's a huge thing. Like you say, oh, well, our, 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 our numbers spike after everyone comes on, but it actually is, like, enormous for us, too. Like, people, I, I, sometimes I don't know if you guys know, like, how important it is uh, having help from, from all of you. I mean, whether it's interviews, whether it's podcasts, whether it's just retweeting things, it's all huge. Because a lot of times, the you know, the marketing team for these books is, like, three people. Mm-hmm. So uh, not, not, like, the entire, uh, an entire corporate marketing team. So it's... It's enormous and uh, it's it's much appreciated. Without getting without getting too sappy about it, it's it's a huge thing. So I really appreciate it. Well, we're happy to help any way we can. I mean, like I said, we love the book. We did have one thing we wanted to touch on before we close up the show. Sure. Uh, we've been contacted by a lot of people that we met this weekend, a lot of people that have been listeners for a long time, and they saw the T-shirts that we made and we were wearing around the con, and they're very interested in getting their hands on one. Um, I'm trying to just gauge how much interest there is because I can always do another order and just figure out what the price point would be for everybody that wants one and then ship it to them. So if you are interested in acquiring a Comical Podcast t-shirt, uh, just shoot me an email or a tweet or send me a message on Facebook or whatever, and I'm just going to tally it all up. I'll figure out how much I can get them for, and I'll get a, get back to everybody, and we'll, we'll work it out. Because you know, if people want to wear t-shirts and support the show, I would I'd be more than happy to uh, make that happen for them. It's getting crazy, man. Pretty soon you have us on our webpage and we have to go buy keychains and pictures and stuff with selfies and shirtless. I'm just saying. If you start doing a Chippendales calendar, that's all on you, man. (laughs) iPhone case. You need to have an iPhone case and you'll blow up. Uh, I would wear a shirt. I think you seriously overestimate how much time comic creators spend outside of their house, but I would love to have one regardless. Awesome. Well, get in touch with me, everybody else besides Steve that is interested in having one, and I'm going to try to work that out. All right, guys. Thanks for listening today. Uh, We want to remind everybody they can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash comical podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at comical podcast and at comical podcast too. Anytime you see us tweet anything about the geeky awards, please retweet it. Uh, We need to remind those people that we're still around and we fell off the front page, but we may put another episode up if we have another good one before, before the end of the submission period. But anyways, guys, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Keep on laughing, bitches. (laughs) 